Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. This is Liam Billingham, co-host of Oeuvre Busters. Before we jump into this week's episode on Love, Lisa, directed by Todd Luiso, I just wanted to compliment one person. I want to compliment one person because last episode, I asked for reviews. And I got one review. That review is from June 7th, 2019 from I Am Spartacus, who seems to be a big fan because he's all over our gram and all over our reviews. And he gave us five stars. And he said, thank you, Uvra Busters, for bringing happiness back into my life. Happiness is capitalized. So I'm thinking he means the movie and I never thought we'd get thanked for that. But there you go. I won't I won't complain too much. Uh, you're welcome. I am Spartacus. Thank you for the five star review. We also have 18 ratings, 17 of which are five stars and one is four star. And hey, four star person, we love you. We love you. You're the best. Um, that's really it. Um, I wanted to let you know that we will be taking the bonus week off this week to catch up and get out of the podcast minds because my throat hurts and I'm tired of thinking of funny things to say. And George is probably also tired because he contributes so much to the show. Anyway, that's it. We'll talk to you soon and we hope you enjoy this episode. Bye-bye. I'm George Fogopoulos. I'm Liam Billingham. And this is... Dramatic pause. Oeuvre Busters! Is that what you think it sounds like? I no, think it sounds more like what I'm no, saying. No, it's you were right. I was right. 100% right. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. What? You know he has vineyards. Does he? That's what he does. He's he in California? California. I feel like all of those guys at some point yeah. get to a certain point. I mean, I think stature. he just was like, I made I made all the money I'm gonna make on Tool. Yeah. I love Tool. I used to yeah, I used to be a huge uh, really, tool really head. Tool head. That works. That's that works. It's right? the first one that you've done that's worked. I saw them in MSG once. It was a great concert. Was it? Yeah. I've I've never seen Tool, I've seen a perfect circle. Uh oh uh yeah, I saw a perfect circle too. They opened up for nine inch nails. Oh. But I also saw Tool. Were you, ha- were you like, yeah, Lateralis, dressed all in black. Of course. Really long hair. Yeah, I, I shaved my eyebrows. Oh, no, wait, for Perfect Circle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
because that was the, like because Maynard when he's a tool, he like shaves everything. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, it's a wig when he's with a perfect, perfect circle. circle it's yeah, not, it's not his hair. Yeah, George. Speaking of uh, anything speaking to not of, talk about. Speaking of emo, e- emo, 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 emo things. Uh, what movie are we talking about? We're today? talking about Love Lisa from 2002, of course, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, directed by Todd Luiso. We're still on the Philip Seymour Hoffman kick. Still on that that Hoffman kick. Um, what what if you were to summarize? love lisa in a sentence or two because do i have to uh let's do wow Oof. Oof. can you feel the cold tonight and i know todd um, is listening i'm sorry todd todd we should after has we summarize he done anything the movie, else we should talk about todd luiso mm. or luiso the man the myth legend um because he's got an interesting hollywood career oh yeah, um, yeah. well i mean that's why i got his name tattooed on my back you have so many tattoos now. I do, I do. It's those, getting kind of uh, ridiculous. Yeah. You got so, all the Leonard Shelby stuff. Love Lisa. Memento head. Uh, Love Lisa is a film, uh, again, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, plays Wilson. Joel, Wilson Joel. Wilson Joel, who is basically coming to terms or trying to come to terms with the uh, death of his wife, who has killed herself. Uh, which you sort of you don't quite know, but there's a really powerful shot of him like looking at her car and the rag stuffed into the back of it. Right. That's really powerful. Yeah, and you sort of deflecting responsibility by by avoiding reading a suicide note that's been left behind. And we'll talk about him. that because that was one of the parts of this movie that fucking drove me insane. Um, and I also think it's worth noting that in uh, as part of his deflection, he drives across country and goes to uh, like a model airplane off with like a. Another sort of immature father, all while being sort of yeah. stalked by his mother-in-law, Denny. who wants him to catch up with the mother-in-law, played by Kathy Bates. Kathy Gr- Bates, an awesome performance. They're, they're both, they're both, they're both amazing. really, really good. Even the guy who plays Denny's amazing. Yeah, everyone in the movie yeah. is very good. Um, so this film, I would is is Philip Seymour Hoffman's first leading role. I would I was looking at his list, mm. and it's like there's not a lot of stuff before this. Everything was kind of supporting. Mm. There wasn't like a major. Leading role before this. Also interesting to note, do you know who the screenplay writer was? The screenwriter? Uh, Joel Esterhaus. Gordy Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's older brother. What? Yeah. Do your research, Fragopolis. I thought you were going to say Gordy Howe for a second. I was like, that is amazing. Gordy Hoffman, who... Do you know Gordy Howe's? Uh, Legendary well, hockey player. Hockey player. I don't sports. <laughs> sports. Who um, needs them? Um, Gordy Hoffman was his older brother. He's a playwright and theater director who wrote this script in 1996. Okay. And uh, gave it to Philip Seymour Hoffman to read, and then they shepherded it into a movie. So and much for my 9/11 um, allegorical reading. You of this better film be that, fucking that. kidding! Me. I was not kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! George, at some point, this has to stop. <laughs> um, and directed by their theater friend Todd Luiso, who you might remember. Probably most well, he's in Scent of a Woman. That's where they met. He's in Scent of a but, Woman, but um, he also uh, had a small part in Apollo Thirteen. He also has a small part in my back, as we he, said earlier, because of the tattoo. He was. I don't know if anyone remembers Apollo Thirteen. This. He plays the rocket ship, right? He plays the rocket. He is Nick Nicholas Cage's partner in The Rock. He's Marvin Isherwood, the guy who oh, he, he shares the the guy who's like, "You want me to stick this into my neck? Are you fucking crazy?" In those opening oh, scenes, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, I love The Rock. I'm just gonna put it out there. It's such a so great movie. It's like the, I mean, if it's M- Michael Bay, Bay one weighed one great movie, and it's The Rock. Um, Jerry Maguire, he's Chad the nanny, who's like jazz man. <laughs> And then like, I didn't realize he was um also an actor. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and he was also in. High Fidelity. He's he Dick, play- the oh, meek yes. record store okay. owner. At some point, we're going to have yes, to talk about okay. High Fidelity and how I watched that movie and was like, 
it's pretty cool that you judge people based on their taste for like 20 years of my life <laughs> i thought that was the right thing i think it's a hel- um, i think it's a great movie and he's been in a bunch of other stuff um and again with his career he's an actor but he also directed a movie called hello i must be going that got a lot of attention hmm. in 2011 starring melanie linsky who's an amazing actress um Which i believe is also about 9-11 and he scripted the recent adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth, starring Michael Fassbender. Wow. Which I, I always, I mean, of course, they have, have to be it? adapted. Whenever people are like, yeah, I, I wrote the, the Shakespeare movie. It's like, actually, William Shakespeare wrote that movie. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. I've heard yeah, it. Yeah, but you have to write, for example, like Interior Day. Interior Day. And that changes Interior, everything. the Heath. Yeah. I know Macbeth. Yeah. Oh, jeez. You're not supposed to say it. Um, doesn't, it. Um, so who stars in that? Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, Marion Cotillard. Plays... Lady Lady Macbeth. Doesn't Michael Fassbender's massive dick play? Uh, he plays no. It, he plays one of the fleance. <laughs> <laughs> nice fleance <laughs> joke. Hi oh. Um, so that's sort of the pedigree on this movie. It premiered at Sundance in 2002, and boy, does it feel like a Sundance do- movie. Oh and God. I say that liking a lot of films that comes out of Sundance. But when we joke about Sundance, yeah. It certainly feels like a, a joke sil- Sundance movie. Yeah. So one bit. one of the things that I did not like about this movie is what did you think of the movie e- overall? Even though, so I, I didn't hate it. Okay. Even uh, despite the text messages that I sent you, basically being like, "Oh my god, you what actually, the fuck is this movie?" I mean, it wasn't happiness level of bad. It was. Uh, yeah. Let me let me just like read. Let's do a little text message reading <laughs> while we're going here. It was just kind Boy, of. I gotta scroll back. We text a lot. It's funny though. You should say that. Like about the Sundance thing because it felt to me like the kind of movie did not hate it, but eh, it's weak. Wait, wait, it felt to me like the kind of movie that has pretensions mm-hmm. of being deep and right. profound, but that overall is even though again there is a sense of humor to it, right? It still I felt like kind of took itself way too seriously. So mm-hmm. and we could talk about it in detail, but the, yeah, for example, like the fucking letter, the stuff about the letter and the whole thing of like the letter that he's will not he, reading will from he his not wife. Read the right. le- yeah. So basically, what happens is you find out very early in the film, as we kind of already discussed very briefly, that his wife left behind the suicide note. Right. And the entirety of the hour and a half, the the major kind of dramatic tension is like, will he or will he not read right. this letter? And you fucking know he's gonna read the letter. Like, well, it's also it's also a kind of stand-in. So it's one of those things where you know he's going to read the letter. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm, I've been trying no, to, no, go to ahead. do better about that. It's yeah, my, just, just my you're, podcasting you're just really resolution. Rude. It's okay. What? Just really fucking rude. No, no, it's okay. It's fucking rude. It's okay. It's okay. My feelings are hurt. I'm dying inside. I'm <laughs> dying, dying inside. inside. Go ahead. Um, I my issue with that is that it's a stand-in for, in my opinion, what could be more dynamic writing. Because it's just the thing that the movie keeps coming back to as totally. a way to do. Like, so, I mean, when someone commits suicide, I mean, when you lose a partner, I can't say when someone commits suicide, but when you lose a partner, and what's what's clever about it is the reason he's not reading the suicide note from his wife is because he doesn't want to deal with his the way that he might be implicated in this note. Totally. Which is actually a really interesting take for a movie to have. And one of the best things about the movie is we're not really sure how to feel about this yes. guy throughout. Yeah, yeah. But... What if he reads the note in the first 15 minutes and has to contend with that? I think that's a more interesting movie. Or halfway through, let's right. say. It, why does Using it, ha- it as a suspense tool is weird. Because the other thing also that sucks about it, and nothing against the writer, but... Gordy? Yeah, nothing against Gordy. Gordy Hoffman? <laughs> is that by the time you get to the end, there's nothing I felt like in the letter... Mm. Like, like only Shakespeare could maybe write something that's so profound at that moment that yeah. really strikes you. That's like, oh, that it, the liter- it that was the- worth an hour and a half right. to get to this point of. And, and, and I feel like also like the film doesn't know what to do because the ending is also like really 
opaque and oblique and it was kind of one of those things where you're writing and you're writing and you're writing and you get to this point where you're like uh, I've been working on this screenplay for like six months I don't yeah. know how to end it I gotta I'll, get Phil to read it yeah I'll end it in this really like abstract weird way where what happens basically is that so he also kind of huffs um, is that the technical yeah term? so this is the if in case you were wondering yes this is the movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman huffs gasoline for the entire the running entire time, <laughs> of the movie. time of the movie but that's what I knew it as it's the movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman huffs gasoline because this thing got no attention I have no memory of this movie yeah. and I was like very aware of Philip Seymour Hoffman in 2002 I was certainly wow. wasn't reading like the trade and you were like what 18 19 uh i was out of college so i, I mean i was out of high school sorry so i was at 19 yeah. yeah oh yeah i i fucks with i in I high school <laughs> i watched heart eight over and over again uh I'm i no i no i th- I, and I boogie nights had come out uh, boogie nights had come out yeah well bo- i think boogie nights came Happiness, out when i was i'd hi- seen 14 boogie nights came out when i was in high school yeah me too Bo- yeah Nin- uh, no well yeah, I mean, maybe we're separated by three years. Uh, yeah, you're like ten years older than yeah. me. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, but I mean, yeah, yeah two to three years. Yeah, no, I was, in, I think I was in. Like, I was left behind in high school. I like probably would have been. So that explains why. What? I was left behind in high school like fifteen times. So that explains why. <laughs> George we is fifty-six. Both, we both watched um, it at the same time. No, he. Uh, yeah, I was probably a freshman when Boogie Nights came out because I remember being like, "Ooh, can we rent this one?" It was being like kids couldn't rent it. So at the obviously. end of the, so at the end of the film, at because, the video scene, because he's, he's been huffing gas this entire film. He finds a match, lo and behold, in the letter because obviously his wife, I guess, wants him to burn it, even though she doesn't explicitly yeah. say that. He lights the letter on fire, and basically his whole house catches on fire, and he walks out. Um, and which that's is, the end of the movie, and then he walks down the street, and then he walks down the street, which is like an interesting like shot, I right. think, and like well done. But it felt to me as if they had no fucking idea how to See, end this I'm movie. See, I'm a sucker, so I was like, oh, clever. But I mean, like, I I watched <laughs> this movie a little longer ago than you did. Um, so I sort of forgot about that. So obviously I wasn't like, oh, how about the part with the match lit? I think it felt satisfying from like, a, oh, that's what this has been setting up. But in a weird way, this whole movie is like a, hey, kids, don't huff gasoline don't huff ga- yeah. movie. Like because there are kids. I felt like so there are two teenagers that eventually yeah. um, he, f- he also sort of befriends be that friends? are huffing gasoline. Yeah. And, and in a really funny scene, actually, because they get shooed away from this gas station where he goes to get gasoline so he can huff it because he buys yeah. like, a container. Um, he's filling up his own container to go back home and huff, 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 and huff, 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 and the gas attendant comes out and yells at these kids who are like trying to smell the pump. Yeah, and then eventually he finds them and he like pulls over and he pours like some gasoline in a rag and he hands it to them. It's really fucked up. Yeah, no, but it's also like the equivalent of some guy buying like a six pack for teenagers. Yes, that's true. That's true. And yeah. I felt like that was funny. And then eventually they go back to his house. And like they start stalking him because they're like, oh, this is the guy who's going to get us like fucked up on gas fumes. You know, my feeling about the movie is that I just feel like it it's a sad sack white guy movie. Yes. Totally, but it's yeah. also sort of at the end of that being not at the end of it being acceptable, but certainly like Sundance has gotten movies of that ilk have gotten a lot more interesting since then because they're not just like look at this sad guy and his sad coming out my ears uh, so what um c- can you think of another film post this that is well kind of i mean i think the most obvious not in a more interesting way because i maybe it's before this but like it kind of fits into that world of like the garden states yes uh, or your and i don't like this movie and this is i'm gonna get flack Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think is a hmm. fine movie. I think that film's more intelligent than this film, though. I agree with you, but I think it's that little bit of like sad white guyness. And Eternal Shun- Sunshine has a lot more going on than that. Yeah. But just sort of that like two thousand to t- two thousand one to two thousand five period of like 
Look at all this sad, sad. But Liam, it's so terrible. It's such a terrible time to be a white guy. Don't you know that? I feel like it was worse <laughs> for other <laughs> groups. It is? What? Here's a history book. <laughs> Let me tell you something about American history. <gasps> um, so, yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, and I think... I, I just found it didn't do anything for me. It was it was kind of dis- I'm glad not you very s- interesting. I'm glad you said that because in thinking about like what I was going to say about the film in this during this podcast, other than obviously reading it as an allegory for 9-11, is to um, Jesus s- say that I was like... This the only thing I that this the only thing that I really have to think about this film is that I don't have a lot to think about this film. And you so already just said that's that. That's kind of true. Like I was really worried. I was like, well, this is going to be a twenty. Th- I think this is going to be our shortest podcast episode ever because we could go beat by beat through the movie, but it's not. So let's talk about something that's good about the film. Yes. His performance, the performance is really is great. strong. However, it's a really strong performance um, where he does all the great hallmarks of a Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. He's like pathetic. He lies. He's also like dangerously charismatic a few times. Like there's some times in the film when you're like, what's this fucking guy going to do? Such as? Well, just the way like how he like will go to work after like huffing all the gasoline. Oh, and like you just don't know what's like. There's a scene early on in the film where a woman is telling a story and he's laughing at it and everyone else moves on and he kind of keeps laughing. Yeah. And you're like, yeah is this guy going to snap and, yeah. sh- and like shoot this office up? Which like at the time <laughs> now is yeah. like a nightmare to think about. That was like the moment where I was like, oh, I'd but love to see Phil Schumer play, play, play the Joker. He manages to. <laughs> be both sympathetic and like truly pathetic and yeah in some ways unlikable like again it's this great example of him taking on that what we'll call the everyman quality in the sense that like this is a guy you could see at work who's the oddball who's the strange guy yeah who laughs inappropriately who like harbors some terrible thing in his life but you're also like what the fuck it's just a it's a very dynamic performance of a script that doesn't really do anything for me and i'd like to say the same thing about kathy bates who in so many movies the mother-in-law is unsympathetic and she manages to make like a real person out of this like thinly written role of a mother totally yeah did you also catch all the parallels between this and pasolini's the uh, gospel according to saint matthew you're fucking with me yeah i'm fucking with you they don't exist jesus christ do you like that film the gospel according to saint you know what i haven't seen it actually don't you dare make references to a film I'll you, fucking do it. You I will do it. You have seen the Marxist Jesus Christ movie I and you d- call yourself a... <laughs> it, it's the summer of Pasolini for me, right? I'm, I have to slowly fucking Are you watching some Pasolini? I want to, yeah. Well, I'm planning on it. Well, you could do a podcast. We could, yeah. I, I don't want to do Pasolini. The thing about... I'm tired. The thing about... <laughs> the thing about... Um, you think you have a bad fucking Pasolini's dead, Liam. I know. Do you know? Do you and know Willem that? Defoe do you fucking know that? Biopic, so it's which, like woof. Which I wanted to see actually. It's I'm supposed not to be good. Lie. The thing about Kathy Bates' character also that's interesting in relationship to how the film fails is that there's no sense of stake. Yeah, well, also about and, and somebody said this online too, so it's not it's something that also popped in mind. But there's no sense of like who these characters were before the suicide. That's a good well, but and that's like, not always a bad. I don't know. It's not always I, I a bad that thing. That's a simple reading of it. It's not I'm always honest. a bad thing, but I felt like I wanted to know more about, let's say, the relationship between Kathy Bates and him. So there is a flashback. There is one flashback where he sees his wife shirtless, oh, which is a nut. We could, I want to talk about that scene, which as well. we don't. We don't see this him is towards in the it, very though, end. In the context, yeah. Well, he's like huffing. Yeah, he's in the bathroom, he like, I believe. Oh, yeah, and he and he looks up and he sees his like naked wife, and it's not done like gratuitously. No, not at all. But I did feel like I mean it was a very interesting scene because it was kind of this weird amalgam of like sexuality and death. Well, and it's also we should probably talk tonally. This is a very peculiar movie because it spends a lot of time in sadness. It spends a little a lot of time in like 
humor, but it's a sad kind of humor. Yeah. Like I don't think tonally it ever quite hits it. Yeah. Hits it. It's maudlin. We could say maybe maudlin, but it's also like trying to be funny. Correct. And, yeah. Well, um, there are some funny scenes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a real peculiar movie, and I. I but uh, I would like to. I feel like we're not. One thing that I think it's worth saying is that it's funny. But th- it's not. A d- I would say There's that a it's a, it's a fairly, and I don't think it's a very dynamic film. The most dynamic Correct. thing about the film is that he he sort of becomes he sort of becomes a part of the like model airplane, model car, model boat yeah, world yeah. for a extended sequence. But in didn't the movie. you feel like that was so heavy handed? The metaphor, let's say, of him flying this thing and like what that means in terms of like freedom yeah. or escape. I do love though how. The film does like this. So the character of Denny, who plays um, Denny's the, the oh, so there's this um, his office. There's a woman that works there who's so clearly Moira, into him and yeah. Moira. And there's this pathetic scene where she at the zoo tells the she zoo. likes him, and it's not pathetic like any, anything that she does. It's just like she's so clearly there to form to fill a function in the screenplay that totally. But she has a cousin named Denny, Denny. who's like really wants to hang out because he tells Moira that he's into radio control cars and planes. And she's like, oh, my cousin, like, is my cousin also, Denny. Yeah. And really, he's just, it's because he's carrying gasoline around that he's right. huffing and he doesn't want to look suspicious. Because, <laughs> right. oh, his house smells like gasoline. Yeah. But there's such a, I think what this film does do very well is catch, kind of like capture, I should say, the kind of, I know, I know we're going to lose a lot of fans because I know like a lot of radio controlled enthusiasts listen to us. Yeah. It's like we have the biggest market on But that. There's, there's a certain kind of um, like sadness or like patheticness to that kind of like. Well, it's how the film portrays it. It's how the film portrays it. And I think they do a great, the Denny character does like a great job of catch, of like representing that geekiness and the earnestness and kind of the. um, I would also like to say that the way hobbies are portrayed in American culture is always as pathetic and sad. Like the word hobby, because we live in such like a hyper capitalist. By the way, can we finish doing this so we could start playing magic again? Oh, yeah. I brought my Ice Age deck. Oh my god, I fucking hate it when you use it. We're coming for those kids that play at that place down the street. We're coming for you kids. (laughs) Hey. hey. That does not sound threatening at all, by the way. (laughs) Like Liam's just like heavy breathing. I know where you... You're dead. Um, you and that fucking Jester's but cap. But I do think the card should be banned. I do think um, Jester's cap. Anybody know? Black Lotus. Anybody? Anybody out there? What? I'm just mentioning like obscure Magic the Gathering cards. I don't really know Magic all that well. I never got them. The only thing that I was ever into is Star Wars. You fucking magic m- mentioned Magic without fucking knowing. All Justice I know cap about is. is Ice Age. Um, I had. Friends in high school. What's I did theater in high school. What's okay. worse, uh, pretending that you've seen a Pasolini film or pretending that you played Magic the Gathering? They're both terrible. <laughs> but I do think that like the movie does treat people who are like into model airplanes like in sort of a un- not in an unfair way. I mean, it's a little weird of a. But every hobby is. No, no, like, no. What, uh, yeah. What's one of your hobbies, George? What's one of my hobbies? Just reading fucking amazing literature. All right. What about that? What about that? I love books. <laughs> I love poetry. No, 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 no. I, you're right. It's how the film represents it. But I think there's also... I, like the Denny character... I'm sorry, but like the Denny character is supposed to be like this... Oh, he's like a goof. Awkward... Yeah. And like he's goof. also like drinks when he drives and he hates his wife. And, hates his and wife. there's like a and, lot of... And also is some of the humor in the film because at some point he, they're like... One of the great montages is when... So they go... Um, the great montages in cinema. Great, one of the great montages so there's, in cinema. There's they go the, to New Orleans. Or actually, of course, the Battleship Potemkin <laughs> one. And then there's the one in Love Lisa when they go to New Orleans. Where they're, where they're constantly talking... Where Denny's constantly talking about whether or not 
um, he should uh, read the letter. But he, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, God, decides, to de- awful. decides to decides to drive to New Orleans, right, for this um, convention where right. everybody's like flying and uh, planes and racing boats, mainly racing boats. Mm-hmm. And it just happens that Denny's there, and it's at that point where uh, Denny finds out that Wilson has the letter, the suicide note. Yes. And there's this really funny sequence where it cuts to like four or five different places. So like they're at the diner, they're driving, they're in the they're in the hotel and room. And he's being like, "Are you gonna read the letter?" Yeah, and like he's like, "Oh, you shouldn't read the letter alone. You should read it like like to a priest." And then it cuts to him like being in the hotel room. He's like, "Yeah, that letter's probably like really fucked up and crazy." And then he goes like, "I gotta go take a this shit." This is an interesting <laughs> that your po- thing that you're pointing out about this movie is that like. It's maudlin and sad, but there is a want montage where like the main character's wacky friend is like they're yeah. like in all of the stereotype like they're in like they're eating like big sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> then they're like in separate beds and Philip Seymour Hoffman's rolled over on one side and like it's just Yeah. It's just cliche. It's cliche. Yeah. Um but the, again there there are these moments of like yeah. dark humor. So like there's a or there's a moment earlier in the film also where Philip Seymour Hoffman is at a diner and wants the yellow pages. And by the way, talk about dating a film. Right. Well, t- it's weird cuz it was shot on film too, so it's like right on the cusp yeah. of the end of that era. So you're like, was this film made in 1987? Totally. Like it, it feels dated. So which he, is depressing. So and then he has this really interesting years ago. exchange with um this guy who uh, works at who the works diner? At the diner. Like, let me let me have your love pa- pages. And the guys, like, I can't give you. The yeah, those are those staff love yeah. pages. L- love pages? They're staff yellow they, uh, pages. They we both said love pages. They used to be our, our love pages, but they're no longer. This our used love to pages. be our love, love pages. pages. Love pages. That's definitely a uh, Brit- the game where you have to get the love pages. It's definitely it's a, a weird night. A Britney song that's like in the archive somewhere. Oh man. You imagine when that when those archives are released. Do you know that she's never going to perform again? She says that, but I mean, how huge is that? Podcast recommendation: Tour Mystery be. Show. The episode called Britney. <laughs> Fucking incredible. Did you ever listen to Mystery Show? No. <gasps> George, <gasps> a whole new world full of this is a Starly podcast, Kine's please. voice. That's right. Her name is Starly Kine. So that's it's a real name. That's a really I'm funny. Not making it up. So that's a really funny uh, moment I felt when he flips out of the page. I was about there was a funny moment when he like towards the end of the film where he goes into the gas station and he like asks for gas and he's like really flipping the fuck out. Another sad white guy movie, Sideways. There's a little bit oh, of like the Merlot yeah. thing. Like again, this is that same kind of thing that kind of like <laughs> swap out Merlot sad. for gas. Yeah, but it's like that sad kind of world where these people like I don't know. Just it's like a it's like a much more peculiar sideways. Can we go going back to that scene towards the end where he sees he, he believes he sees or it's like a flashback to his wife. Right. Did you feel like in any sort of way that that was Again, I didn't think it was like gratuitous, but I did feel like it was a weird choice that the only moment that we see his wife, she's topless. She's kind of naked. Yeah. And I understand that, too, because like I imagine, obviously, like not only is there like there's a grief for this woman in the sense of yes. missing her as a person, but there's also like it's it bound up in all things and it's bound up in like in terms of like sex and desire and like bodily wants and bodily needs. So I understand that it kind of makes some kind of psychological sense on that level. But then also part of me was like, did it just have to be with her? Like, well, I think this, can we just get a shot of her? Like bare ass. It's worth thinking about is like, what do we think this guy? Who? So what do you think of this guy? Well, I mean, again, it's, it's hard to say because again, you don't know him prior to, it seems like he's excellent at his job because another aspect. Well, until he gets too huffed up on paint, (laughs) uh, on on, uh, gas to keep doing his job. I mean, but who hasn't been there? We've all been there. We I'm d- huffed up on gasoline right now. So Pamplemousseline. <laughs> Pamplemousseline. Oh, I see what you did there. Thank y'all. Um, Thank this y'all. episode is brought to you by... Pamplemousseline. LaCroix. 
Um, we didn't talk about this, but there's also this other thread running from the film. Or um, Stan Tapping. Stan Stephen Tobolowski. Tobolowski. Being again, Phil. Amazing. Yeah, Phil. Phil. Also in Memento. Yeah, that's right. He kills his wife. Um, where? No, he might be Leonard. He Shelby. might be Leonard Shelby. Yeah, but where? <laughs> Which is weird because Guy <laughs> Pierce is also in this movie. Yeah, here, here, here we, we go. Here we go. Here we go. Nolan. 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 Yeah. Are you excited about Tenet? Yeah, his uh, new yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm so excited. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. yeah, yeah Liza, yeah. not Eliza Dushku. <laughs> Eliza Dushku. <laughs> <laughs> the Eliza Dushku? Liam doesn't know this, but I've been recording an Elijah Dushku. I can't even say her name right. Dushku. Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku. Podcast on the side. What's it called? Dishing with Dushku? D- d- yeah. And I, it, it just me. Why don't you pay me for these names? It's just three and a half hours of me. Right. Talking to a mic in a dark room and, pl- and playing magic. <laughs> it's really dark. It's a, it's a, it's got a, it got a, an MA rating. So on, we find, on iTunes. We, we find out that he's pretty good at his job. Right. Because he's a graphic website designer. Yeah. And he keeps getting chances to like keep his job, even though he keeps fucking up. Right. Because and he gets hired basically by Tobolowski, uh, who plays this guy named Bailey. I forgot what his first name is. He's Tom such like Bailey? a good biz. Like Tobolowski is so good at playing the like earnest businessman. Yeah. Man. And like, he legitimately like seems to, like fail? care about him. Yeah. Um, and basically what happens is that uh, yeah, he totally fucks up uh, the opportunity that he's given to like. So we know that like he's good at job. his job, but like, so do you feel? I mean, I feel like. It's hard because maybe you'd want to know maybe what's from like a writing perspective. It's like it, I definitely think that there is a tendency in movies of this style, which are sort of low key minimalist in a sense. And the lighting, I should say, the lighting is really good in this movie. Like stylistically, there's a minimalist quality to it that's very strong that I'm not going to dive into. It's better just to watch. And I hate it when people try to describe this stuff, but it's very sparing and it works really well. But there's a very intentional choice. And I think it's a st- stylish. Yeah. And I mean that like to not give us a sense of something before that's a, a major point. event and yeah. and i feel like it's it's a it's really something that's very closely associated with like a lot of european cinema yeah um and i think that like a big you know that i think that dates back to like your anton antonini antonioni's antonini's antonini's <laughs> antonioni's and your um and some of the cinema of that era where you know that you spend a lot of time <laughs> your pasolini's your and your bergmans, your bergmans. and your uh fassbenders your bays your nolans your schneiders <laughs> uh, all those great minimalists yeah, all those your great spielbergs minimalists. no but you you know you sort of your like Brett you, 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 there's an open question in the movie which is like what is this guy like before um or or who is this person that we're dealing with which yeah. I, I think is interesting but i think it the way the way that i look at it is that like the movie fails because we don't have a sense of a real character arc for this guy because we don't know where he starts very good i mean sure if i would you just let me sorry sorry. i'm sorry sorry. if i don't know i just feel like it's an incomplete movie as a result like it's an ellipsis as opposed to a an arc yeah, and Ooh. and that's very good, and that's why yeah. I teach English. Where's the Aristotelian arc? To yeah, this? I need it. I need it. I need my sense Especially of time. Especially for a place fucking tragedy. Yeah, which it is. God damn it! But yeah, no, that's a good point, and I, I also like what you said about kind of the drabness and like the muted colors mm-hmm. of it all. Very minimal and very being kind of obviously like an intentional beige. stylistic. Oh, there's beige all over this film. Um, his clothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me hear about your 9/11 allegory real quick. Oh no, no. So, uh, 
<laughs> so I was just like, I was like, all right, when was this film made? 2002. Great. I can work with that. Okay. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, oh, the radio control, radio control planes. So like the, the ominous kind of like sense of like the plane and like the huffing of the okay. gas as, as this kind of, you know, like um, symbol of like, the, of like the trauma mm-hmm. and of what it was like, especially in New York, because there was definitely like a smell in the air and there was like a very much like a smell. Plus of, like, the sort about, of like, interesting idea like, of the gas, white middle gasoline. class American being addicted to right. gas. Gasoline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's so you want to do like a, p- a petrol kind of uh, allegorical. Reading I mean, I totally. think this is bullshit. I think everything you're saying is bu- <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I think that uh, bullshit certainly certainly. Well, we've got a little time here, but certainly since we've we, let's get a little bit into the how you read it politically. Do you think that this kind of stuff is intentional or do you think it's all sort of sub? working underneath the yeah i, I mean, don't think you walk into the attention i don't think this guy walked in first of all he wrote it in 1996 correct but it was made in 2002 yeah okay. or i mean uh, it was re- and it was also released late in 2000 because i i certainly don't disagree with you that any film can be read read politically or allegorically or allegorically but i th- i think it's a little superficial because i don't think and I'm, again i'm not i'm not saying any of this to criticize yeah you, yeah you no yeah, idiot. yeah. <laughs> but i think like it's worth it's worth talking about like we we have a lot of conversations about um, a political reading of a movie yeah. and most of the time i agree with you but like I'm interested to talk about this for a minute because it's like a real stretch right. from where I'm sitting. First of all, let me say you call me an idiot, but clearly you just tried to cast a counter spell with like n- one blue mana. So, like in all honesty, who the, who's the idiot? Right? When you played magic, would you tap, the, tap it like you turn tap, the card, right? The, Wouldn't you turn the cards? You turn it, yeah. Of course. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, the the cool kids. Jesus, the cool kids would just put them at a slight angle, right? But then also all those cool kids. Yeah, did you get laid in high school? But then also, God no. But then also, me neither. It's but, fine. <laughs> but then also, by laid you mean play magic? Because I got laid a lot. Then. Yeah, bitches. But um, sorry. Yeah, and then sometimes you'd run into like the nerd police, like I can't tell what you're, which man is tapped and which isn't. Can you turn it all the way? <laughs> those please? kids definitely didn't get laid. And now they're on the Supreme they, Court. They didn't, oh God! Um, oh God! It got really dark. Um, um, no, but let's so what I'm just trying to say is like, yeah, like the Brett Kavanaugh's of the world, that they're the ones that got it bad, just like Wilson in this film. Isn't that what this film is really about? No, I. The point I think about making like an allegorical reading of any film or any potential text is that it's clearly, let's say, of its moment and of its time. Right. So I think yes, obviously to some degree, I've, I didn't. You're mean, stretching it. I yeah, know. yeah. I was trying to also like joke and just say something like stupid, and like, oh yeah, this film is clearly about 9/11. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that any, then an allegorical reading of a film, right? Um, especially if there is some substantial evidence to it, is there. Do you think it's there in this case? No. Okay. No, no and I'm not, again, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not disputing. I'm mostly interested in your in your thought process for this because yeah. we talked about it with the Big Lebowski. Big, Big Lebowski? Big Lebowski. No, Big Lebowski is, is there. It, and it's concerned with those things. Um, I don't know that happiness... I think that your reading of happiness is to sort of review some of the things we've talked about. I certainly don't... Th- I think it's I think it's on point, but I don't think it's there in the writing at all. Mm. And... Um, with Ripley, I thought it was really interesting to think about the idea of heteronormativity in the 50s as the way it relates to, like, uh, 1998. Yeah. Um, so I was just sort of curious about that because I, I think that there is a superficial way to think about the idea of what this film could be saying about the political situation because it's devoid of politics in the sense that it's in, an obvious, of, in an obvious sense yeah of course um, sure. and it also brings me back to something that i think about a lot which was our conversation about killing of a chinese bookie and when you talk about a film as being 
political. Like one of the things that I don't think about is th- that is political about that movie is the simple conversation about killing Southeast Asians. Yes. I don't think yeah, that's yeah. political. I think. Oh, wait, you don't. I don't. Because I huh. think I because I, I think. Well, I mean, I think it's political in an obvious sense. Mm-hmm. What I think is more interesting about that movie and we're coming sort of back to it is the idea of what does it mean to live as a product culturally of American imperial manifestation in the 1950s and 60s. So how do you come back and live your life after you've gone to Southeast Asia or not even yeah. in, or South Asia and killed a bunch of people? Like, I think that that that's like a, it's it's like it sort of depends on how you want to tackle these things. Right. In the sense yeah. that like you look at something like they're talking about it and you're like, that's not that that's not political, but it's like, what are the substantial political issues that a movie explores? Yeah. I'm, but I'm not totally following you. So why is that scene where Cosmo like talks about being in the Korean war? Like why is it's that not, not, political? not political? It's, it's that it's, 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 I think that it's, um, I don't think it's as, um, I, I regret my word choice. I don't think it's as... De- de- I think that the politics in the movie... The more interesting political dynamic to the movie is the way that the politics of the of, of, of the time engage with the story. So when I watch that scene, I get okay. very... I get very... Yes. I get very, like, kind of, like... I think it's the, cl- the classic joke of, like, you go see hair, and at the end of it, you go, like, oh, we've got to get out of Vietnam. And, like, in, like, uh, you know, in 19... In, in, and that's a... <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, that's a long-running joke that I'll explain another yeah. point another time, but it's just, like, the idea of, like, what stands out to me when we look at a film politically or when I analyze a film politically is what it's saying with its story and what it, with what it's doing with the character as opposed to the things that people talk about. So, right. in a way, that makes it more interesting to think about this movie and the gasoline. Yes. And how it's like, oh, the idea so of the an American consuming no, I think yeah, that's a, yeah. is really interesting. And I think that's a great read on that kind, and I think on that that kind of moment. Airplanes are really interesting too, but I also wonder if it amounts to anything. I mean, I you know, I'd have to think about it. And I felt like one of the Am I really fucking I don't know if I'm no, no, no. if I'm well, anywhere. Uh, if I'm saying I'm, no, I'm saying nothing. A couple of things. A and we don't have time to do it now, obviously, but it also depends on what we mean by political. So Obviously, you guys got three hours. Obviously, obviously, because every every work of art is political in some sense, even if let's say it professes to be apolitical. So even well, if it the most apolitical things are the most political. Things, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like so, that T-shirt you're wearing that says "Make America." Is that "Make America Great"? Yeah, again? I got it. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't made here in America. But do you know about this? Uh, this. Uh, this MAGA guy. It's got yeah, Trump. Yeah. Uh, Trump? yeah, yeah I think them. that's his name. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Apparently he's uh, president of this country. Podcast over. Yeah. <laughs> so Click. The, the, it's 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 actually really funny because I literally am wearing a, a Marx. T- yeah, you are wearing a Marx t-shirt. t-shirt. Where'd you get that? One of like five. Um, did you get me uh, one? Threadless. Threadless. Because oh, I made you a Marx yeah. t-shirt. You did make me a Marx. Or, or yeah, or a critique. A critique. Of <laughs> yeah. Of um, who I am as an individual. Oh, stop it. But I think no, like the general, let's say, statement, which again means everything and nothing, but like the personal is political, right? So like as you were saying. Well, oh, that's true. There's something political. No, it is. But I'm saying, but there's something. No, like, that's true. Like the, like the politics, for example. The politics, for example, of like the sad white guy film, mm-hmm. which we've had like so many of. Which are, they're my favorite films. And, and there's and when done well, and some of them no, are done well. No, there's some really good sad, great. sad white guy films. This one is not that. It's not great. And when again, when you get a really bad white guy film, it's like it feels so fucking. What's your favorite bad? But what's your favorite sad white guy film? Oh, gee, my favorite. My favorite. Jeez, where does where does one be? There'll be blood. Uh, oh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> Do, does that count? I guess yeah, not. Sure, I don't know. 
was gonna uh, say Moby Dick. That's, that's a really, really great <laughs> political movie, though. There's a, the politics of, course, of that movie yeah. are amazing, or what the movie has to say politically. Again, I I, I wonder if a movie has anything to say. Poli- I mean, I I think that's this another question. Maybe. It's no, in general, like, what are the politics of a film that the film are the are, are films espousing? If, if is a film like that espousing a p- politics? I Which don't know, but it's certainly blood? yeah, but it's certainly about politics. It's certainly about America's politics. Yes. Which totally. is interesting. We're but, all over the place. And I think, again, it depends. Again, right. Yeah, it depends how you define the political. It depend, depends, like, where you locate that. So I think I think your reading of, like, oh, isn't it amazing that here you have, like, this middle-class American guy who's, like, addicted to gasoline. Like, that's fucking great. And I didn't think about it in that way. Yeah. But you're totally right. And well, like, I think the same thing with model airplanes. I, I wouldn't have thought of that at all. Oh, like, in related to, like, yeah, yeah. Well, and also just, yeah, trauma and the yeah. inability to process it right. and what it may mean. And the the note is, is so our own, in the, the, our own sort of... So you can control a radio-controlled plane, right? Obviously, like you have agency and control over it. So either, even let's say, besides it being like an allegory for those planes, yeah, of nine eleven. But thinking about it, like in relationship to him, and it's a for me, it was like a very like overwrought symbol of like freedom or escape, or right? Like, so it's and, a classic American. Yeah, and you actually don't see him fly like the plane. I think pretty much at all. At all. Yeah. yeah. Like he defers to Denny. Uh, once or twice, you see Kathy Bates try to fly her once, and she she does not do a good job of it. I think what's interesting about this that the way that the, the way that it's interesting to think about if any film politically, and I think that it's largely because like it's not that I don't think about films politically because I I said I definitely think I do, is that I think, um, it sort of says something about like the like texture of a movie like we talked a little bit about like the wide open spaces in a film like Lebowski and the way that yeah. like bowling alleys happen bowling alleys are housed in places that have a lot of space and what does mm-hmm. that say things like I think what's interesting about the maybe the this film certainly does not feel political but it does explore like a place and a time and a, and a way of thinking that I think is interesting and sort of a way to look at the look at the world at that exact moment and it feels like a right. product of its time so heavily of its time yeah and that's why also what you said earlier for example about um chinese bookie which i think is applicable to this is that exact same thing where like you also have to look at the context of which the film right. came out so like for example when obviously we we're talking about this from ripley but that even though um obviously the film came out in 99 yeah it or sorry, the film's supposed to take place in the fifties. It's clearly also saying something about the late nineties, and that it's like hard for a movie not to. Mm. Hey, how many barrels of laughs are you guys getting right now? Uh, well, Keith, you know Keith is always Keith. Yeah, yeah I mean we get we get so much. I think now. everybody was here to listen to me make more jokes about mana. Mana, mana, mana. Um, do you have anything else to say about this film? No, I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to go back. I think it's an interesting film because it really is the first leading role he would get. And he didn't, even in his career, even later in his career, you know, off the top of my head, what are the Philip Seymour Hoffman leading roles? It's the most wanted man. It's the master. Yeah. It's, well, um, yeah. A few other, but it's it's not like, you know, Mary and Max, maybe. I mean, um, he's not a leading film. He's not, by no means is he a traditional Which is one of the man. things that I like about this film is that you spend almost the entire film looking yeah. at Philly Hoffman's beautiful yeah. face. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth seeing if you're really wanting to c- catch up on his films and watch it. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, no, no, me, I mean, it's I'm really good. I'm glad, I'm glad we saw it. Um, he's amazing in it. He's great in it. Um, and yeah, and I just felt like the the material isn't doesn't live up to his uh, work. Though, but I will say, to, he d- but he does elevate it. To contrast times. that is that it does this thing that I've been thinking a lot about that I don't have a thesis of idea about, but him is this sort of 
symbol of like a of a kind of like american you know like the the middle class white american yeah. type he he really excelled at it because it'd be you know again one of the many tragic things about him not being around now is like what what kind of actor would philip seymour hoffman I mean, so he's only been gone five years but you know he'd probably continue to do these big hollywood movies he's always such a presence in the movies that he makes yeah. and that's not excluded from here but like how would he could really like play a really great toxic masculine i mean he played plenty of characters like that i just it's it's it makes you reflect on like where his career could be now and the kind of ways that totally films that he would be and, and could and be grappling with some of the cultural issues that we're dealing with and also hard to watch a movie where a guy's addicted to any kind of drug that he later would totally. die from a drug addiction and i think you also mentioned um going back to uh, something you asked about how we're supposed to feel about this character and i think i don't think i answered the question fully mm. but yeah, again, he does a great job right, of, he's good. of making him, like you said, like sympathetic, um, kind of pathetic. Right. Um, and all of these different kind of registers, which like within within one scene, he could go from, let's say, again, like you hating this guy, because especially towards the end, you really start freaking out about Kathy Bates. Yeah. And being like really mean to her and tries to break into her house, for example, to grab photographs of his. What a weird wife. movie. Yeah. Um, but even in those moments, they're like it quickly shifts and you also like feel. Uh, bad for him right because he's experienced this awful loss and it's worth it's worth seeing it's a great performance in a film that i think in some ways is kind of forgettable yeah i would say see the rock first and then maybe this oh double feature Ooh, these films are really similar rock lisa well there's both like the nerve gas and the rock is right. very much like the gasoline and love lisa mm-hmm um there's also um what are the politics of the rock quick just kidding really bad there's also um there's uh, also um uh cars in both the only thing that i think the politics on the rock has going for it is that the go ahead is that uh the the motivations of the villain are more interesting than they are in a traditional uh hollywood movie Ed Harris wanting like oh, them to Harris. pay out the family of the soldiers that were just like left to die. To die. I think that's more interesting than yeah. Than he's pissed the uh, the government first the government. Know, first Gulf War. Yeah, yeah, ninety one. And also talk about a movie with crazy good performances. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, David Morse, so good. Yeah. That's where you went, David Morse. <laughs> David Morse is really good. Uh, Tony Todd's really good. Yeah. Um, that other guy who who oh that uh, other guy's eat, amazing. The guy that, that guy. he makes eat the the capsule. Oh, what a great movie! I love it so much. <laughs> eat that, you fuck. <laughs> um. Well, I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Rogopoulos. And this was Uberbusters. Can, can you just make sure you tap when you tap the mana? Can you just please so I tap can it, see if it. it's like all the way to the side? George. I can't, I can't tell how much mana. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Adam Shartoff, the host of the remarkably popular podcast, Film Wax Radio. Uh, guys, I recently left you a message, a voice message, and in it I guess you could interpret possibly that I was suggesting that maybe on some level if you guys were not qualified to do an entire season on the actor Philip Seymour Hoffman and you could pass the podcast along to myself and, of course, our mutual friend Pete Rinaldi. I just want to 
make sure you understand I don't for a moment think that you guys can't do a great job. I do. I think you guys are fantastic and uh, obviously passionate film lovers and uh, thoughtful movie uh, goers and um, that you're more than qualified to do an entire season on on the actor. I guess I was just suggesting that if you were overwhelmed on any level that myself and I, if I can speak for Pete Rinaldi, uh, that we are here for you uh, in case you need us. Uh, if you want us to take over an episode or any 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 work at all, just let us know. Uh, uh, you know, and if you get on the by the way the phone with Pete Rinaldi, please ask him to to call me because uh, he is not uh, returning any of my calls lately, and uh, I I probably just have an old phone number or something like that. So uh, I'm sure we'll just get that cleared up pretty soon. But thanks, guys. I hope everybody's well. Bye bye.